Hey, gods, mortals, and fiendish villains. We have two announcements. We have merch available for all of you guys, designed by Jamie Harrison. It's amazing. We have a ton of cool designs, and they make great gifts for you, a friend, or someone in your family. We have everything from our traditional logo to a Pulp Fiction option, even one that we've lovingly named Pastel Goth. So if you want to check them out, just head on over to our website and click the Merch tab. We also have a new Patreon tier. It's available for one month only, just until the new year. It's $50, and you can send your D&D character sheet and any descriptions that you have to me and Tracy, and I will write you a story introducing your character into the adventure of their dreams. And I will draw custom art of your character based on your sheet and any information you send to us. And the best part is you can then take that character and put them in the middle of our battle royale. We're so excited. We're going to host a battle royale with everyone who joins the limited tier. There are only 10 slots available. It's a great gift for your DM or anyone in your party who's looking for a D&D themed gift. But it can also be a great gift for yourself. 2020 has put me in a little bit of a treat yourself mood. So Me too. <laughs> if you're there with us, check out our new Patreon tier. And as always, we hope you enjoy the episode. How's your day? How how's it going? Good. Um spent almost the majority of my day doing this, prepping for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. How was your day? Uh I also spent most of my day doing this, although I did have the first good night's sleep that I've had in a very long time. Good. I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> it's, isn't that just from one bad sleeper to the other? Isn't that just mm-hmm. so... It's a gift. I uh, It took me a while to get to sleep, but once I was there, I don't know what God I prayed to or who I made a pact with, but I got a good night of sleep. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy for you. My win last night was that I woke up in the middle of the night and it didn't take me an extra hour to fall back asleep. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> Tracy and I have a chat with our mm-hmm. friend, and we call it Insomniacs Limited TM. Yes. <laughs> and um, we all live in different parts of the world, so it is hilarious either when all three of us are on it, because someone, at least one person, should not be or right, if, right. Or if two people are on it, it's like, okay, which one of you is up way later than they should be? Yes. <laughs> it's the best. It feels like a bad sleep support group. It does. I feel validated. Well, because it's not the kind of support where, you know, you're saying to me, go to bed. It's, right. well, if you're if you're not going to be in bed, I'm going to be interesting for you. <laughs> yeah, because it's not it's not shaming you because you're choosing to have a bad sleep schedule. Like, that's when I'll shame people when they're, like, bragging about the fact that they stayed up all night because they, like, are just too cool to get sleep and then complain about <laughs> it. Then I'm like, no, I have no patience. 
But if you're <laughs> like us and you're like, listen, I swear I laid in bed in the dark with my eyes closed for two hours straight and I still feel like it might as well be two in the afternoon for how awake I am. Please entertain me. My big struggle this winter is that, you know, it gets dark at five now. Yeah. And so my body goes, bedtime? Bedtime. It's bedtime, right? And I say, no, you have to be awake for five more hours. And then when the fifth hour rolls around, my body's like, morning? Good morning. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so real. The lesson there, I think, is take the nap when I can. Yeah. And then... But you're so anti-nap. You don't nap. I don't nap. I only nap for six hours, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, hi. Welcome to the Willing and Fable podcast. I'm Rowan Hall. And I'm Tracy Harrison. And we are a podcast that talks about ancient myths, local legends, and why stories have staying power. I should make a joke about insomnia, perhaps, but I'm not going to do that because insomnia is the joke. (laughs) You guys write the joke. We gave you the punchline. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So Tracy and I decided to do something for this episode. It's a little fun. It's a little silly. Uh, We're kind of in that lull when this episode comes out between Thanksgiving and Mm. the next round of winter holidays. And so we wanted to use this as an excuse to kind of let's say tread off the beaten path. Yeah, we we were chatting and we realized that many of our listeners don't know very much about us. Which we forgot because we know every single thing about each other. Actually, that's not true. You told a story today on our Insomniacs <laughs> Limited channel that I didn't know. <laughs> it's because it's not a story I'm proud of. I come across as neither cool nor doing the right thing. All right, quick interlude. Tracy, tell us about the time that you snuck into a college classroom. All right, so my senior year of college, I was in my level two chemistry class, and my two friends and I were studying before our final. Our final was at like 7 a.m. We met up at 5 a.m. We went into the building to study at like 6. We wanted to study in the classroom, which was a lecture hall, and the door was locked. So we asked the guard if he would open the door for us. And he said no. So then he walked away and my friend used his credit card to shimmy open the door and we went into the lecture hall and I bounded my way down the stairs towards the giant chalkboard to start writing out chemical formulas and I tripped a silent alarm that went off (laughs) And then I, uh, that tripped a real alarm, and a real alarm was going off in the whole room, blaring, and we ran. And then we ran, and we sat outside the classroom as the guard came back to investigate it and was like, do you know what's going on? And we were like, no, we've just been sitting here studying. We don't know what's going on. And he was like, oh, I guess it was like a mouse or something, and turned off the alarm and left. And my heart was racing so fast, I spent that entire final exam convinced I was going to be expelled like two weeks before I graduated college because I broke into a lecture hall to study. Wait, what? What? That's not even logical. No, it's not. I was so sleep deprived from studying for finals. And I already had a job lined up and I was like, there goes my job. There goes my degree. I'm never going to (laughs) graduate. I'm going to get expelled. 
Uh, so that's the story Rowan didn't know about how my friends and I broke into a lecture hall to study 45 minutes before a final exam. The story in which I don't come off good at all. I'm not cool. <laughs> Wasn't doing anything cool. And still I broke the rules. It It's funny to me because there was never a time that I wanted to be in any of the buildings, classrooms for my school that I could not be in them. We were surprised. We actually did the same thing for the midterm, but it wasn't locked. The, the, the lecture hall was open. So when we went to do our midterm, our chemistry professor thought it was hilarious because we had written every single formula and everything on the board. And <laughs> it was one of those whiteboards where it's like a double one. So you can shift the back one to the front, and the front one to the back. So uh-huh. he laughed and he was like, oh, I bet you guys hope I didn't notice this. So you could take your, your final and like flip them so that we couldn't see the formulas. So that's what we did. We were trying to do for the second one was write all the formulas, like leave him a little note as like a joke. Um, And instead we set off an alarm. (laughs) So not only were you trying to study, you were trying to do something funny and endearing with your teacher who you apparently got along well enough with to make jokes. Like This is just such a good student crime. I'm not cool. Well, now you know that about us. Yeah, I know I come across as like the coolest gal ever. Like I just Do come you? across with like really cool person Are energy. Are you sure? <laughs> but let me let me dispel that myth for you that I am in fact the coolest person. I think you're cool. You think I'm nice and a good friend. I don't think you think I'm cool. No, no, I do think you're cool. Uh, because you're interested in the same things that I'm interested in, which is cool for two people to share. <laughs> I don't think that you're freaking rebel without a cause over here. <laughs> <sighs> James Dean, I will not be. But in true willing and fable fashion, Rowan and I decided to make this a Q&A episode. But not a normal Q&A episode. We turned it into an excuse to tell stories. we took the fifth edition DD characters that we made of each other and are using those as blueprints to write the ya fantasy novel introductions of our dreams yeah and if you're wondering what the heck we're talking about a few episodes ago tracy was putting herself down and that turned into <laughs> us imagining what our stats would be if we, as in actual us, as we are with all of our skills and quirks, were dropped into Faerun. The character sheets we made up are on Patreon, if anyone would like to look. Uh, they're on the feed available to everyone. You don't have to be a patron. They're right there for you. <laughs> if you want to know where this craziness comes from. Mm-hmm. So what you're about to hear is me writing a story for Rowan as if she's the main character in what would be the beginning of an adventure and Rowan writing a story as if I'm the main character in an epic fantasy tale. Perhaps the two may cross paths. I'm the main character in this neighborhood. You're the main character in every neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) That is not true. (laughs) So after we tell our stories, we're going to ask each other some questions, but again... They are not going to be normal, do you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain kind of questions. But real quick, do you? you I'm iffy on pina coladas. I could, I could take or leave them. They're really too sweet usually. You know what? I'm going to leave them. But I do yeah. like the rain. So half. <laughs> I know. And I'm half as well. One, because I 
am basically allergic to every right. kind of alcohol that's not whiskey. And I enjoy getting caught in the rain on a fun summer rain mm. kind of thing. But, like, when you're in the city and you, like, need to get from point A to point B and you're caught in the rain, it's literally the worst thing in the world. Like, getting caught in the rain is only fun when you're on your way home and can change. Right. Yes. The ability to change definitely assists. Also, if it's um a romantic experience, and I don't re- mean romantic as in specifically kissing a human being you want to kiss. I mean romantic in that it is storybook worthy. You know, yes. you're having a moment with a person or people or yourself. Yeah. Again, I feel like that hinders on the knowledge in the back of your mind that you can enjoy that moment because you can go home and get dry. Do you mean hinges on? What did I say? Hinder. <laughs> <laughs> I did absolutely mean hinges. <laughs> okay, you start. Okay. You tell your story, and then we'll get into some questions. <laughs> Tracy had not survived her entire life until this point to be sneered at by a foolish oaf in expensive robes. And she'd certainly not perfected her craft so that a man could tell her what she could and could not do with it. The small, pleasant-seeming brunette sat in a high-backed wooden chair while Lord Whomever of the Great Wherever lectured her about what the School of Conjuration would permit from its students. It wasn't that she didn't care to know the man's name. It was more that her brain would not allow her to remember it. Her head was filled with a great variety of useful things, and this frustratingly droll man's name was certainly not one of them. You see, my dear, the practice of necromancy is absolutely not allowed in our great institution. It's a disgrace to our work, our very names as wizards. Tracy had learned in her short time in the high stone walls of the School of Conjuration that a great many things were a disgrace to our very names as wizards. And she certainly didn't believe reanimating a rat that she'd been forced to dissect in the first place really fit the bill as disgraceful. Not to mention... Her cat had eaten the haggard thing nearly as soon as it came to life, so it couldn't have been much of a problem. That wasn't even the reason she was here. Merely a frustrating anecdote that the man had devoted too much time to. The real problem, she knew, casting her wide green gaze on the man, was her. Tracy had previously enrolled in the Bardic College of Lore, receiving lectures from headmaster whoever the hell about how a bard must focus equally on bardic ability, not just the magic, if they are to graduate as a successful bard. It was a neat trick to be able to sing a spell into being, and she was having some luck with learning the lyre, but oh my god, is it possible for bards to be decent people for even a moment. If she had to listen to some dancer go on about their artistic identity, or an 
I can play any instrument I put my hands on, Guy muddle his way through the same four chords one more time. She was going to cast hideous laughter on all of them and leave forever. She'd actually done that. One bright, sunny day in choir, the professor was allowing some little snot-nosed girl to go on and on about her future career on the stages of the realm. That was the moment Tracy broke. She could never be a bard. She felt it so deeply in her soul that it burned her throat. So, she created a twin illusion of herself to take her seat, cast hideous laughter on the class, and quietly slipped out the door into her own destiny. It felt that way at the time, anyway. It would pain her never to see the outcome of her spell, but that was just the way it had to be. She'd collected her cat, purchased a bag of holding with the very last of her gold, and made her way off to the School of Conjuration to begin her life as a wizard. Tracy knew she'd made the correct choice as soon as classes began and she'd performed her first wizard spell. She could heat up a cup of tea without having to do a merry jig to get it done. She'd practically wept with gratitude when she could simply say the complicated words of a spell rather than sing anything. Sipping her cup of tea, she had a realization that very few people in the world ever would. Tracy would excel where others dared even to tread. As classes progressed, Tracy could be heard saying, I won't be the first to learn it or even the second, but once I've mastered a spell, you'd better be ready. She'd taken to dyeing a considerable amount of her hair blue. She'd managed to convince everyone that she had a ghost for a roommate and couldn't possibly fit another being into her living quarters. But most important of all, she'd begun stealing books. If you asked Tracy... She would blink up at you with her springtime eyes and dark hair and sort of quirk her mouth. With impossible frankness, she would ask, Why would I steal books from the library when I can just borrow them anytime for free? This would simultaneously embarrass the asker and deeply root in their mind that she was the most trustworthy and level-headed wizard they'd ever met. It wasn't even magic. That was the best part. Tracy inspired that level of trust in others, especially those of a higher rank, with her very existence. She could actively feed a man's fingers to a dragon, and as long as she apologized while she did it, the man would blame himself. It was a gift. The heists went thusly. While working her weekly shifts in the library, a job she dearly loved, Tracy would stroll into the portion allowed only to the professors, reshelve a few returned books, and take out the one she'd like to read. Then, at the end of the day, she would walk out the doors, plainly carrying the forbidden items under her arm along with the rest of her work. Not one person, not one time, even asked what she was reading. Back in her room, Tracy's needy cat would begin meowing the second she opened the heavy wooden door. 
as long as the wizard occupied her with a constant stream of, Hello, Lola. Hi, Lola. Lola. And allowed her to jump from lap to floor to creaky bed as often as moods demanded, the night would progress fairly simply. Tracy only needed the books she stole for one night at a time. It had taken her all of a semester, but she managed to spell a quill to copy the text of any book she put in front of it. The damn thing wrote in purple ink and insisted upon dotting every I with a little heart, no matter how she tried to change it. But she reasoned that she'd rather have the text filled with hearts than no text at all. Tracy had a sneaking suspicion that the professor she got the spell from was teasing her a bit with the aggressively silly purple cursive. His name was Professor Gugel, and while he seemed to know everything there was to know, it was a real trick getting him to give you the information you were actually looking for. But he seemed to like Tracy, and she'd figured out a way to ask him questions with some success. Unlike most of the teachers in the School of Conjuration, he was never a stickler for the rules, which Tracy appreciated immensely. While her quill got to work copying the book she'd dropped on the flimsy desk, Tracy began the awful task of practicing her water-breathing ritual. She had a sneaking suspicion that her survival class would be dumping them in the nearby lake one day soon, and she did not like the idea of nearly drowning and receiving a failing grade. So, every ten minutes, she'd perform her ritual shove her head into the wooden cleaning bucket she'd borrowed from the hall, and then repeat the process until she didn't come up spitting and gasping for air. By the end of the night, Lola still hadn't figured out if she loved or hated water, but Tracy was prepared for any lake-bound test. It was the next day when Tracy was reading the stolen book in her class on Abyssal. She was planning to return it to the library during her evening shift, but her teacher showed a rare moment of insight and caught her reading it. Thus, she was sent to see Lord Whomever, ruler of the school, haver of bad breath. And as she sat in his office receiving his lecture, Tracy fumed. Of all the times for her to get caught, why not pick any of the instances where she was actually performing a spell. To be sent to the headmaster for pursuing knowledge in a school was infuriatingly hypocritical. But she said nothing. Reading her silence as repentance, the headmaster gave her some minor chore as punishment, and Tracy was sent on her merry way. But the young woman was shaking with nerves and anger as she made her way down the never-ending spiral staircase from the office. She was so nervous that she really wasn't surprised when she was bumping down the last few stairs on her butt, items flying out of her cloak every which way. 
Lola sprang from her sleeve with a frantic yowl, and Tracy immediately regretted worrying about her safety in the pocket dimension as she fell. It required further investigation, but the wizard had a feeling that her thinking about it is what called Lola out as she slipped. In the blink of an eye, the falling was over and the mortification of having to collect all of her belongings off the floor, including her cat, began. A passing halfling, eyes filled with pity, bent over to help her, but was quickly sent running when he reached for a small black book and Tracy yelled, Ah, 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 don't touch that, don't touch that. She'd seem very unfriendly. But it was a book meant to house souls, and she wasn't sure what the passing touch could do. Her nervousness carried her through the rest of her day in a fog, but by the time night began to fall, it was solidifying into a new, powerful emotion. Spite. Now, like any reasonably kind person, Tracy would be the first to tell you that behaving out of spite is never a wise choice. But it's still a choice. And on this particular cold autumn evening, it was the choice that Tracy made. Despite the day's previous clumsiness that had bestowed upon her a rather charming limp, Tracy managed to sneak out of the school with very little trouble that night. She had a particular knack for conjuring a twin that could walk around in her place and so set the magical form sneaking out the other side of the building to give the guard something to go after. Tracy wasn't much for sneaking anyway, so it suited her just fine to stroll out the front door calmly. Not far from the school, on the other side of the lake, just outside the more manicured grounds, there was a cusp of trees that served as a border to a large, circular clearing. The clearing was used by teachers for duels and other lessons that might damage buildings. But tonight, it would make the perfect place for her spell. Tracy was going to summon a lesser demon. Marching the long way to the trees... Tracy looked for all the world like a wizard come into all her power. Her dark robes whipped in the wind and her pale skin shone in the moonlight. Any passerby would know to stay away from what was about to transpire because any person with that much conviction in their eyes this late at night, well, you shouldn't get in their way. As soon as she entered the clearing... Tracy knew the summoning was a bad idea. But if she was going to go off on an epic adventure and save the realm, the ability to summon a demon seemed like an advantageous spell to know. Well, that's all the lies that one tells themselves when they've snuck out of their strict school at the witching hour to call forth a potentially murderous being, but it sure sounded good. The truth was that she wanted to prove that she could. Because screw you, that's why. Following her purple, heart-filled notes to a T, Tracy prepared the required components and made a circle of her own blood, which she complained about the entire time. 
the blood element really was a good put-off from the darker magics. Standing in the middle of her circle, she took a deep breath, focused her thoughts, and began reading the spell with the conviction of someone who spent their life reading. Sint mihi dei acherontis propiti, valiat numen triplex Jehove, igni eri aquanti spiritus salvete. She paused for a wide-eyed moment as the wind whistled through the trees ominously. This, the young wizard thought, would be a great time to change her mind and go back to bed and snuggle with her cat. But she had no idea what came of half-finished demon summonings, so she pressed on. Orientis princepis Beelzebub. Inferni ardentus monarca et demagorgon, propitiamus vos ut apariat et surgat Mephistophilis, quad tumoraris, per Jehovam Gehenum et consecratum aquam quam nun spargo, signumque crucis quad nunc facio et per vota nostra ipse nunc surgat nobis dictus Mephistophilis. The demon arrived with exactly the pomp and circumstance she would expect. Outside her circle of blood, which the spell claimed would protect her, stood the horrifying and looming figure of a lesser demon. Fully formed and looking at her with hungry eyes and sharp teeth. When asked to describe it later... Tracy wouldn't have the exact words for the horror, but interesting would be at the top of her list. Then, from the woods, she heard a wild scream that sounded like someone dying and committing murder in the same breath. She didn't think it was the demon as the creature hadn't opened its mouth, but truthfully, Tracy didn't have a lot of experience with creatures from the abyss, so who could be sure? The beast began walking slowly toward her on two legs, eyes piercing. She couldn't leave the circle and was frantically hoping that the spell was correct and that it couldn't join her within its bounds. Oh, that would be a good way to get rid of a pain-in-the-ass wizard, she thought. Tell them how to summon a demon, let them think they're safe in their circle, when in actuality they're standing on a target just waiting for the creature to come, grab them, and slaughter them. It grinned as if it could hear her thoughts, peeling back its wide mouth to reveal. Was that a second row of teeth? Are you kidding me? At that moment, the loud voice from the trees came screaming again, but from the other side of the clearing, causing the demon to turn and Tracy to jump in surprise. Are you kidding me? Tracy couldn't see much of the figure, but she got the feeling she now had two enemies in the woods tonight. Probably a teacher. Are you actually kidding me? That's my demon you just summoned, you prissy wizard asshole. Tracy blinked and snurged at the new voice. It's clearly not your demon. I've been trying to summon that bastard for a week now. Really? Because it only took me 20 minutes. 
Tracy was instantly proud of her sassy remark. It was rare that she allowed herself to utilize the snarky thoughts that she had in quite that way. Her pride was quickly replaced by concern for whoever was yelling when the demon began running full speed at the faraway figure. Its full speed was inhuman, to state the obvious. She heard the person curse and watched them run toward her. There was no way they would make it to the circle with the demon moving so quickly. She racked her brain for a way to help. But if Tracy lost her concentration, then the circle would fall. The person was running, but the space between them and the demon was narrowing by the moment. Tracy shouted, Duck! And prayed to any god that was available to listen that please, please somehow grant her the ability to throw just this one time. The figure ducked, taking the opportunity to slide the rest of the way forward as Tracy pulled her small black book from her bag and threw it at the demon. Against all odds, truly, Tracy was shocked, its open pages smacked the snarling beast right in the face, causing it to stop its pursuit. As the small text fell to the ground at the monster's feet, there was a soft whoosh, and the abyssal creature seemed to be sucked inside. Tracy felt a manic laugh escape her as her knees wobbled with relief. In a crumple at her feet, covered in mud and leaves and blood, was a young blonde woman. Hi, I'm Rowan. I hate you for stealing my demon, but we're going to be good friends. She offered her hand to Tracy, more asking for help up than anything else. In the distance, at the gates of the school, torches flared to life and voices called to one another angrily. Hoping to avoid that situation, the blonde woman turned and started back for the woods. No, 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 this way. Okay, follow me. Tracy raised her eyebrows. Trust me. She gestured for the stranger to follow her towards the lake and was suddenly very glad she'd practiced water breathing. Oh my god, that was so fun. (laughs) It is so wild to hear a story about yourself written from someone else's point of view. And you made me so much cooler and more... (laughs) You wrote the version of me if I didn't have fear of authority. Okay, so I sat down to write this and I said, all right, baby Tracy, I want to give you the YA novel (laughs) of your dreams right now. Yes. I feel like D&D Tracy would be very badass. I like... I like that it's badass with knowledge. I'm just really informed. <laughs> really informed, right? Okay, I can summon a demon in 20 minutes. Screw you. <laughs> that was so fun. That was so, ah, so good. And so, like, I don't know, I'm all tingly and happy. My friend wrote a story about me. I would like to say, though, that fictional Tracy had my back on that because I wrote the bit about water breathing and the Black Soul book without having any intention of them being utilized later in the story at all. They were just anecdotes. (laughs) And then we got to later in the story and fictional Tracy was like, hey, hey, hi. (laughs) I'm useful. I have these things. I feel incredibly called out for 
I mean, multiple things. One, I love you included my blue hair. I have recently re-dyed my hair blue. Mm-hmm. So I love that. But Rowan knows that I do trip and fall down my stairs not an insignificant amount of times. Like, I, I do that. I feel incredibly called out because without you being able to know, I slipped down my stairs yesterday and bruised my butt and have been <laughs> limping around today. And you still somehow clairvoyantly saw that and put it into your story and manifested it. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. If you would just laugh, please. (laughs) Fair. I laughed. I laughed. Actually, I was really angry. I just sat on the stairs pissed off for a few minutes. Hey, listen, I have fallen down three stairs so badly I broke my ankle. So I feel like I'm in a particularly good position to mock your issue with stairs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, there. I put a lot of little Easter eggs in there. If you care to call any of the rest of them out, you're more than welcome. <laughs> oh, well, the blue hair, the tripping, all the stuff falling out of my arms and pocket dimensions. So funny. It, based off a joke we did like a long time ago. Yes. Like if I were a wizard, I'd just be tripping and throwing books everywhere. Yes. My cat, Lola, <laughs> being yes. very needy. She was needy while you were telling the story. But she didn't meow on command, which was a real downer. The part about me being able to create a twin very easily, I like that. I couldn't resist. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah, I like being in choir. I was in choir. Yeah, so you guys won't know this, but Tracy and I were in choir for all of forever in public school. We were just mm-hmm. in choir. And that was a exciting, lovely experience. But Tracy and I were both altos. And if you've yeah. ever been in choir... You will know that the hierarchy <laughs> does not make altos cool. No, al- altos just do all the work and get none of the recognition. <laughs> we do all the harmonies. It's so much harder. The melody, like, so I've sung every voice part from alto two, alto one, soprano two, soprano one. At one point, actually, all of them in the same year in four yeah. different choirs. And the hardest voice part is alto. And the absolute easiest is Soprano 1. You just sing the melody. I can promise you no Soprano 1 has ever had to learn harmony in their life, and they couldn't do it if they had to. <laughs> All right, Tracy, there is, there's fictional you. Are you ready for some questions about real life you? Yes. Okay. Okay. No pressure. Yeah, none. Uh, well, you know what? Let's get it out of the way with an easy one. What's your zodiac? I mean, this is easy depending on how into astrology you are, which I'm not actually super into astrology. No. But I had a friend in college who was who did my birth chart. So I am technically a Leo, but my – I think – I know there's your sun sign, your moon sign, and your rising sign are like three different Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. So I'm a Leo as my sun sign. And then what's the other most important one? Is it moon or rising? The moon's your internal self and the rising is what you project. Okay, so Moon was Virgo. Okay. And I forget what Rising was. I mean, listen, I'm just saying okay as if it means anything to me. Yeah. Uh, That's the answer to that one. Leo. That was the wizardiest answer. (laughs) (laughs) I like facts. (laughs) Tracy, how long do you think you would reasonably last in a proper D&D campaign playing you? Not your version of me. Yeah, the, your 5e character sheet, just you. You're you. Go forth. Um, 
I think I would last pretty long for two reasons. One, I'm super scrappy. And two, I would just stop doing the dangerous things. <laughs> like me as a person, like really what my character sheet should, should say is like commoner. Like I'm just Aww. an NPC. I'm not going on the adventures. Uh, and if I do, I, I would be the wizard all the way in the back tossing out fireball. Right, you need a really good paladin and a yeah. barbarian and some people in there to protect you. Yeah, um, so I think I would do okay, but I do think my problem is that I would run into danger. I, 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 I let me just—I say fight me a lot for someone who really isn't prepared for anyone to take me up on that. <laughs> and that's true. I think I am extremely scrappy. I pick fights with everyone all the time, like joking physical fights, and, and and I just, I would literally get the shit kicked out of me before backing down. I'm very stubborn about that for absolutely no good reason. So I think I would last okay. I do not think I would make it to the end of the campaign because I would either sacrifice myself for someone or just also never forget. Everyone, please never forget. I'm an idiot. So I would just do something so dumb. I don't dumb. like this canon. You know what? Nope. 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 Okay, I'm calling this out. All right, I here we like go. I like my cat. Big of heart, dumb of brain. No, no, no. No, no, no. Okay, y'all. I play in a campaign with Tracy. She plays an artificer. Her character is canonically the smartest human. Often, Tracy has to ask for the information that her character would know from our DM simply because it is not the world that Tracy exists in. <laughs> it's a world made by our DM. So Tracy has this this lie that she's propagating around everyone <laughs> that she's an idiot. And I see through you, Tracy Harrison. It is just a way to have... A, a good out to have people underestimate you so that you can exceed expectations. I see it. I get it. And I will not have That's it. That's such a noble way to think about it. I'm not. I'm not buying what you're selling. I, I do think I, I think I'm, I'm high in intelligence, low in wisdom, maybe, if we want to put it that way. Or high in wisdom, low in intelligence. I don't no, know. No, you're high in intelligence, low in wisdom, I would say, if you had to be one or the other. Yeah. You're, books. I, I, you're high in books, low in street. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so I um, – listen, the patrons who played Among Us know that sometimes <laughs> I just panic and make dumb calls. Like sometimes I just <laughs> – I can also be a real smart lady. But also I'll tell you to fight me over absolutely nothing. She is quite stubborn. Okay, Tracy, if the universe is just a simulation, what update or patch does it need? It can't be – Something political or COVID or cancer. I want just like a daily life little patch that our mm. universe needs fixed. Mm. Insomnia is gone. Ooh, good call. Yeah, that's a bug, not a feature. Get it out. Update it in the next <laughs> patch. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> if you could have tea time with one of the characters that we've had in the stories on our pod so far, who would you pick? It's so hard. We've had so many cool characters. One of the first ones that comes to mind is obviously Ching Shi from our <gasps> most recent pirate episode. Like, just to sit down and, like, hear about her life, talk to her. Like, oh, amazing. I think that's probably the top, but I kind of also would like to meet Astrid. I want to know what she's got going on. I think there's oh. a rich – I think there's a rich history there. Or Daniel – 
our dude bro Mothman. So Astrid's from our Afterlife episode. She was your tour guide. And Daniel is our dude bro Mothman best friend. I think he <laughs> – but I think he'd want to talk to me about kombucha for longer than I'd be comfortable with, so. Right, right, right. <laughs> so maybe not Daniel. Uh, probably Jingxi, then Astrid, I guess, would be my answer. I want to throw Athena in there for consideration. And I listen, I know that this maybe sounds super obvious, but she's a goddess and she – is both so hateful and so awesome. It would just be it would just be a blast. I feel like it'd be high risk. It's a high risk tea. <laughs> yes. You know? Like you make a mistake in that afternoon tea breakfast sandwich situation. You grab the wrong one. You mm-hmm. say the wrong thing. Like I feel like you know, high risk high reward. Mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, I think Athena Athena could be cool. I mean, I'd I'd want to meet anyone, really. I, I want to meet Monster. I want to hang out with Monster. Oh, I know. I <laughs> I love him. I want him to be my little puppy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He'll never move. <laughs> no, he's just going to be your good, loyal friend. He'll just stay right there. Where in our world can someone find magic, if anywhere? I distinctly remember a few years ago, I went to Sweden. I went with one of my childhood friends and her now wife. It was her girlfriend at the time. It was their first trip abroad. The three of us went. Her dad was living in Sweden at the time. And so her dad, her stepmom, her now wife, and I went and took their boat and sailed through the archipelago around you know, where they lived and stopped oh, wow. at just this. Oh, it was amazing. We just stopped at this island that literally the only things on this island were the dock in an outhouse. That was it. The rest was beautiful rocks and forests and mm. trees. And I just remember walking through those forests up to the top of a cliff that overlooked the ocean thinking, oh, oh, this is why people have been telling stories of magic for as long as we can remember. Magic is here right now in this place. Like you could just feel it. And I think the same thing when I sit late at night in a really, really clear area on a clear night and you look at the stars. Mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. another place where you feel the vastness of possibility. I 100% agree. I have my memories of being in exceptional places outdoors. I I have similar reactions Mm -hmm. uh, in places that people don't tread very often. But I'm also going to put forth bookstores, but not chain bookstores used bookstores where there aren't a lot of people around and Mm. happening to find a really good book feels like the confluence of luck and manifestation and there's just that feeling of possibility and they're kind of dust motes in the air make that sparkly quality that everybody loves to throw in movies it's just very mysterious in used bookstores, I always end up walking very quietly. Like, I go into sneak mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the answer to all of that is, is places that inspire a feeling of aloneness. Mm-hmm. Not loneliness, but aloneness even when surrounded. Mm. I think that, to me, is a feeling of magic. When you, feel, when you feel yourself in the world for a moment because of the world around you. 100% agree. 
Yes. <laughs> Tracy, what mildly annoying curse do you wish you could use to curse people who deserve it? Easy. You always feel like you have to sneeze, but you never can. <gasps> wow, that was really fast. I, I think about it every time I have a cold. I think about how tr- like truly hell exists on this earth, and it is that feeling when you have to sneeze and you can't. Wow. <laughs> Oh, y'all. That's that's a scary one. Yeah. It's not hurting you in any way. You're going to be fine. But it's annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always like it when witches say, you know, I'm not going to curse someone, but I am going to bless their enemies. I love that. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you don't get that curse energy around you. You just bless everyone that acts in spite of that person yes was that the last question or do you have any more yeah that's all no that's all i got for our our odd q a <laughs> get ready for the ones i've got for you i'm excited but first are you ready to hear a little story about rowan the rogue the air in the tavern was hot and suffocating as the smoke bellowed out from both the fireplace and the mouths of the patrons greedily breathing in their tobacco leaves It was noisy with the sound of the clattering of drinks and plates and platters unceremoniously dropped onto the tables by overworked tavern employees. Every once in a while, there was the long, dragged-out scrape of a chair against the floor, and it would echo across the tavern, cutting through the noise of men telling body jokes and women laughing just a touch too loudly at them to be truly amused. It was altogether a loud, hot, crowded, and utterly overwhelming place to be. It was, Rowan decided, a perfectly distracting place to play a game of cards. She was currently sitting at a table with one Mr. Haraway, a ruddy-cheeked, overweight butcher from town, and another Lord Danbury, a tall, slender man with an air of pomp and circumstance about him, even in such a, as he put it, decidedly unpleasant den of sin. Though, despite this low opinion of the place, he was known to frequent this establishment quite often. A large hand sporting sausage-like fingers waved in front of Rowan's face, bringing her attention back to the game she was playing. It was Mr. Haraway waving his stubby fingers in her face. Oi, go. You're going to play cards or stay outside like you've never seen a goddamn snowstorm before in your life. It's your turn. He was partially right there. It had been a long time since Rowan had seen snowfall like this. It was coming down heavily. The light flurry from earlier now fell to the ground in fat, wet flakes that sunk into each other. And I won't be telling you what cards I just played, Danbury replied haughtily. For it is not my job to make sure you pay attention during cards. He let out a beleaguered sigh. Women rarely have the attention span or strategy for such things as it is. Rowan didn't flinch. She didn't even hesitate before offering a demure smile to the two men. She didn't need Lord Danbury to repeat what cards he'd played. Not only had she been paying enough attention to know what he'd put down but she also knew exactly which cards he kept up his well-tailored sleeve. Apologies, gentlemen. 
I was just wondering if I should take my turn, or we should concede the game to Lord Danbury, seeing as he just placed an ace on the table, and he has the final card for his set hidden up his sleeve. Seems a waste of time for me to play my hand now, don't you think, Mr. Haraway? Danbury sputtered and ineffectively tossed out insults and curses Rowan's way, while Haraway stood up so quickly his chair toppled over behind him. Empty your sleeves this instant, and your pockets. I don't play with no cheats or liars. How dare you! You would believe this... this girl over me, a man of proper standing. Enough, Haraway said as he slammed his hands on the table. Turn out your pockets or I'll do it for you. I will not sit here and be insulted thusly. Danbury stood up, but before he could move to leave the table, Haraway grabbed him roughly by the frill of his collar and slammed him hard into the ground. Rowan knew many things about these two men before she sat down to play cards with them. She knew that Lord Danbury was a compulsive gambler and a cheat to boot. She also knew that Mr. Haraway's temper was uncontrollable when he felt he'd been insulted. It was so easy to get the two into a fight as to be almost boring. Almost. Rowan bent down to help Danbury off the ground, but he shoved her aside roughly and tossed an insult her way for good measure. Haraway's red face grew somehow redder as he pulled a pair of cards out of Danbury's sleeve. Spittle flew out of his mouth alongside a stream of curses and insults at the gentleman. Rowan took this as her cue to leave. She grabbed her cloak off the back of her chair and slipped out into the wintry night as subtly as she could. She could hear the tavern in an uproar as the heavy door closed behind her. A small smile crossed her lips as she slipped Lord Danbury's unnecessarily extravagant signet ring into the pouch at her hip. All in all, she'd call this night a success. The winter wind cut through the air and sliced right down to Rowan's bones. The snow was falling quite heavily now, and it settled in wet drops along her hair and shoulders. Pulling the cloak tighter around her, she walked over to her horse, Lilith, who was happily stabled next to the tavern. She reached out to pet the horse's silky-looking black fur, but her hand never made contact. A sudden tug on the hood of her cloak sent her flying backwards and she landed roughly in the snow, a sharp pain radiating along her hip as it made contact with the ground. Oh no, you don't. You're not getting away that easily. You think you can just ride off happily after the stunt you pulled in there. The voice from behind her was clearly that of Lord Danbury, and he was furious. For a tense moment, Rowan was concerned that he'd noticed his ring went missing but he assuaged those fears with his next words. I'm not going to let some insignificant half-elf who thinks she's smarter than everyone else in the room make a fool out of me. You cost me the game I was just about to win. So, you owe me an apology, little miss, and the gold I should have won. You might be a pretty little thing, but I'm not going to let you get away without punishment. He picked her up roughly as he spoke, pulling her body firmly against his own and holding a dagger up to her neck. Rowan was far more annoyed with this man than afraid of him. Gods, he must think he's so intimidating. (laughs) She thought to herself. Finally, she spoke. First of all, I am smarter than everyone else in that room. 
That's just a fact, my lord. Secondly, I'm not particularly interested in healing your bruised ego. At this, Rowan stomped the heel of her boot hard onto the man's shoe, causing him to yelp in pain and lift his foot off the ground. She took the opportunity to duck under his arm and pull her own dagger off her hip, her beloved rapier unfortunately unnecessary in this situation. As she did so, she hooked her long leg under his, effectively lifting up the leg which held all of his weight and forced him onto the hard, snowy earth. He landed flat on his back and gasped as the wind was knocked out of him and he could scarcely suck in a breath. Rowan crouched over his chest with her dagger now at his throat. She spoke, her face hovering over his own. And lastly, do you really think I'm pretty? Danbury spat in her face in response, and Rowan let out a disgusted sound as she wiped the spittle from her cheek. Ugh, I guess not. To think a man so well off would have such rude manners. Although, what am I saying? Here I was trying to leave without giving you something to remember me by. That was my mistake, good sir. So here, have this. She slid her dagger along each cheek drawing a long line of blood. The cut was not deep enough to need stitches, but just enough so that it would leave a scar. Then she hit the blunt end of her dagger against his head to knock the man unconscious before leaving him in the snow. She resisted the urge to kick him between the legs for good measure and settled, instead, on stealing the coin purse from his pocket. She stood, annoyed at the wet clothes that stuck to her rapidly chilling skin. Her tumble in the snow caused the knees and bottom of her pants to soak through, and there was no time now to change. Luckily, the ride to the next town shouldn't take very long, especially with Lilith's speed. Rowan walked back over to her horse, who remained unimpressed at the chaos that just unfolded in front of her. It was all the same. Rowan would rather have an unimpressed horse than a skittish one, and Lilith was a reliable old friend, if somewhat surly at times. Rowan wasted no time in mounting the saddle and taking off before good old Lord Danbury could wake up and attempt to enact revenge. She'd need to make it to the next town quickly, or else she'd no doubt see her face plastered on wanted posters across the area as part of Danbury's vengeance. Not that she'd given anyone in the tavern her real name, but a tall, lithe half-elf with sandy blonde curls and Blue-green eyes, the color of the sea after a storm, wasn't exactly as hard to spot as she'd like. However, if she made it to her destination in time, her employer would no doubt make sure that Danbury was either unable to or uninterested in pursuing her. She didn't much care for which one it was as long as she was able to remain free and travel and take jobs as she pleased. Her ride, cold as it was, with the winter wind biting into her skin, was at the very least uneventful. She made good time to the wheel and spoke in and dismounted Lilith as a rosy-cheeked, red-haired lad of no more than sixteen hurried up to her. She recognized him as one of the stable boys of the wheel and spoke and searched deep in her memory for his name. Isaac, she said with a smile far warmer than she felt. It's good to see you again. It's been too long. Aye, it's been four months since I saw you last, Miss Rowan. He replied as a flush crept up his already rosy cheeks and he brushed the copper hair out of his eyes as he stared at her. Rowan rubbed her hands together and blew on them in a feeble attempt to make them warm once more. 
Yes, and it was much warmer back then, too. You look well, though, Isaac. I can see that the last four months did you some good. He actually looked much more disheveled than the last time she saw him, and his attempt to grow out a mustache only resulted in a sprinkling of pale hair above his lip. But he was kind to her, and he took far better care of Lilith than any of the other stable boys, so she kept any unkind thoughts to herself. She handed him a few coins and asked him to take extra good care of Lilith for her while she went to the inn. He happily obliged and took the large thoroughbred by the reins and offered her an apple as he gently led her to the stables. The snowfall had started to lighten up as Rowan entered the building. She was happy to see the tavern remained far quieter and significantly cleaner than the last one she was at. A large fire roared in the fireplace and she could smell food being cooked by the innkeeper's wife. The wheel and spoke was owned by a husband and wife with the help of their daughter, Liddy. Almost as soon as Rowan slid into the booth by the window did Liddy place a bowl of stew topped with a massive hunk of bread and a large mug of tea on the table. On the house, she said. Mama says to thank you for what you did for us last time you were here. You don't need to thank me for anything. Although I do appreciate the gesture. God, I thought I'd freeze my ass off in that snow. (laughs) Liddy was a sweet but shy girl, and her only response to that was to just nod her head, the chestnut-colored braid falling over her shoulder as she did so. Eventually, she replied, Uh, well, just, uh, give a wave or a shout if you need anything. Mama has your room prepared whenever you're ready. Few things in that moment sounded better to Rowan than finishing her meal and enjoying a long, hot bath in her room at the inn. She longed to get the wet clothes off her body, soak in a bath, and then crawl into bed and sleep until the sun was high in the sky once more. Unfortunately, it seemed that was not to be. She groaned when she looked up from her plate because a raven-haired, slender woman slid into the booth opposite her and folded her small hands delicately on the table. Rowan was used to the strangeness of this woman by now, the way she moved like a small bird with little tilts of her head and short, stuttering movements. She always wore a mask over the top half of her face, and the dark red robe she wore never left her body even in the heat of summer. Rowan didn't know her name. Wasn't even sure she had one, but she referred to her as the masked woman in her mind and had become used to communicating with her employer through the strange intermediary. Were you successful? The masked woman asked by way of greeting. Hello, I'm doing quite well. Thank you for asking. It was a cold ride here, made worse by the fact that Lauren Danbury knocked me unceremoniously on my ass in the snow and ruined my new breeches. But no, I'm not hurt. I appreciate your concern. It means a lot to know you care. The woman made no response, or even acknowledgement to Rowan's sarcastic reply. She simply blinked a few times while waiting patiently for the answer to her question. Rowan stared her down for a few long, tense seconds, but eventually sighed. They'd done this dance before, with Rowan attempting pleasantries or even confrontation. Hell, anything to get a response from the masked woman, but she was an implacable force of stoic patience. And Rowan's own supply of patience was running thin today. So, 
Instead of saying anything else, Rowan reached into her bag, pulled out the signet ring, and slid it across the table to the masked woman. "'Excellent,' the woman replied, sliding a small bag of coins back towards Rowan, who immediately pocketed the reward. She'd worked with the masked woman enough to know the full sum was there, and didn't bother wasting either of their time counting the coins in front of her. "'I have another job for you, should you like it. This one pays double, and would start immediately.' Rowan hesitated. On the one hand, double the pay was very tempting. But on the other hand, she really, really wanted a hot bath. Eventually, practicality won out, and she asked what the job would entail. You will wait here for a wizard. She's expected any time now, if she hasn't arrived already. I think you may have met her before. Something about a demon... Rowan just waited, listening for the rest of the assignment, but when the woman had just finished talking, she finally asked if that was all. Oh, for now. You'll find out the rest of the job once Tracy arrives. Oh, that's the wizard. <laughs> I can see by your expression you've already met. Well, if that's all, I'll leave you to finish your meal. Goodbye. The masked woman got up without a word and walked out of the inn before Rowan could say anything else. Rowan took another long drink from her mug and asked Liddy for another cup of the strongest black tea she could make. She had a sinking feeling that if Tracy was going to be here, it was going to be a very long night. Oh, you cheater, you dog, I love it. Do I admit to improving the last, like, eight sentences of that story? <laughs> yeah, babe, do your thing. <laughs> I originally had that story ending with you waiting for an unknown wizard to appear, but as soon as I heard your story, I had to improv the last bit <laughs> about us having met. Plus, it worked really well, considering your story took place in autumn and mine took place in winter. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. I didn't stop thinking about that as you were telling it. You really captured the fact that I love winter, but am now, after having lived on the West Coast for so long, completely unprepared for it at all times. <laughs> There's a few things I really wanted to capture when writing the story, and it's what I, like, sat up, like, talking at Tim about when he was just trying <laughs> to, like, sit peacefully near me. Poor Tim. I know, poor Tim. I wanted to capture the fact that when you care about someone or you think they're like a good person you're so good to them and when someone like pisses you off or you think they're just like rude you just you're like oh okay i'm done i'm not gonna be nice to you i will never yell at you but like i will end you <laughs> i wish i were clever enough to pull off like a card game heist to that extent. Well, I wanted to include that with the, like, you're an inquisitive rogue. And so I was like, well, I don't mm -hmm. want to make her, like, super dexterous. Although I did because you, like, stole the ring without him noticing. But I was like, I wanted you to have done that through cunning. Mm -hmm. Like, you mm -hmm. set up the fight so that he would be distracted enough that you could take the ring. I appreciate that. Yeah, it was I fun. actually really appreciate you giving me a horse. And for anyone who does not know, my family, we have horses, so I ride. Our horse's name is Shay. She's a black mm -hmm. Morgan. But my first car 
which was a red PT Cruiser convertible uh, that I drove Tracy around in everywhere at every excuse I could possibly manage, (laughs) uh, was named Lilith. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And I had that car until very recently. I love her. She just didn't want to be a vehicle anymore. No, she worked hard. She worked hard. So (laughs) that was my, I had so much fun writing that. It was like, uh, in some ways, it was, like, the most stressful thing. Like, my anxiety has never peaked as highly, like, to sit down in front of my keyboard before, but also <laughs> the most fun because it is my favorite writing to do is, is like, fantasy stories. And it felt like I want to finish this book. I want I want this to be chapter one of a book where you're the main character because be writing fun. you in this story with all of your, like, sass and quirk <laughs> and skill, so fun. I really appreciate that you gave me a line pretending that someone responding to a pretend idea of what someone had said because I, poor Tracy, I discovered that I could do that in middle school, I think, and then (laughs) did that to people for, uh, (laughs) it has waned as I've grown, but not gone away. No, and it was, it was my way of showing like when someone's rude, you're like, in my head, this character sits down and, like, without saying hello or anything, is like, did you do the thing? And you're like, thank you so – I am doing well. Thank you. <laughs> I, it was rough, but I appreciate your concern. Who's <laughs> the masked woman? As of this story, no one. But, like, I told you I sat up and imagined a whole world in my, in my head. It was so much fun. This could expand into a whole campaign if you let me. Okay. I love it. DM. <laughs> you DM. You play me also. <laughs> I'll play you. It'll be fun. Okay. All right. Just the two of us. I'll DM and play you and you play me. And that's the whole campaign. <laughs> you did also make me the cool D&D version, like cooler than I am as a human. Well, any D&D character of a person is going to be cooler than that person. Oh, oh, sure. You'll give grace for me, but not for yourself. Sure. Absolutely. Tracy, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's how this works. <laughs> this is a blast. All right. Do you have questions for me? I do have questions for you. Okay. Okay. I'm nervous. <laughs> um, I don't think you should be. If you could be a character and live in any – live in the world of any TV show or book or movie, what would it be? Oh, no. Do you want me to oh, narrow it down like – No, no, no. No, no, no. I'll give you one of each. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Narrow it down to one of each. I'll just yeah. give you the ones that come to the top of my head. Yeah. Um, so for TV show, my answer should be Black Sails because can you think of any other more fun world to live in than piracy? But I actually, my first thought was Newsroom. Yeah. Oh, I can't curse. I love Newsroom so much. I want to be the Mackenzie McHale. Yeah. I think if any person out there doesn't want to be Mackenzie McHale, it's probably because you want to be Will McAvoy and that's okay. But if you don't want to be Will McAvoy or Mackenzie McHale... Like, you're done. Like, I don't want to. Yeah, that show is so good. If anybody hasn't seen it, it, all of the seasons of it are available on Amazon Prime. HBO? I don't know. I watched it on Amazon Prime. So oh, okay. maybe it's, I watched it on HBO. I watched it as it aired because my mom sat me down when the, the uh, pilot aired and was like, you should watch the show with me. And I was like, Ugh. I mean, I guess some boring Aaron Sorkin show, whatever. <laughs> oh, no, Oh, my baby. God. I think about that all the time where I'm like, good job, Trace. Like, Because ha- at that point, I had never seen... West Wing. I actually watched West Wing after I watched Newsroom. Yes, I did as well. That was mm-hmm. my experience. And now anytime I'm walking and talking with someone down a hallway, I always think of that. And when I when I do self-tape auditions, 
if I'm not going fast enough or I'm helping someone do one, we always say Aaron Sorkin it, which is just do it faster. That is so (laughs) funny. So that's good. So your TV show is The Newsroom, which I think is amazing. Okay, so my movie, oh, I can't believe I'm saying this, Atonement. Ooh, so you, I, I love that you've gone two different, like, our earth, but different time periods. I live and die by that movie. Like, Can I admit something? I've yeah. never seen it. That's okay. It's okay. I'm not one of those people that thinks that everyone in the world has to I have just seen know and it's loved. sad, and I don't like sad movies. Yeah, it's a very sad British drama. It has... Kira Knightley. It's got young Saoirse Ronan. It's it's heartbreaking, but it's beautiful. Um, I don't know what I would even pick if I were going to pick a happy movie. I'm I'm truly love sad films. I'm yeah, so sorry. No, Atonement's a perfectly valid answer. So book, what book would you be in? Okay, book. Book is hard. Book is hard. Book. Okay, I've got a couple. I've got a okay. couple. So. Uh, Brita by Paolo Coelho is a really good one. It's about a witch, but of okay. course it's like Paolo Coelho, the alchemist style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Clearly I haven't read it, but I get the references. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll get you a copy. Don't you worry. Um, <laughs> the Songmaster is another one. It's vintage sci-fi. Ooh. What's cool about that world that makes you want to live in it? There's this idea in the book Basically, there is this school that teaches people to sing and be singing is the kind of this like power. It gives you a lot of rank. But there's this idea in the book that if you are singing perfectly, you can fill a room without Mm. an echo. So you just perfectly fill the exact space that you're in. Okay. And I think about that a lot when I'm walking into spaces where I want to feel more powerful. Oh, that is so cool. I have to fill the room and not exceed it. What else? What other books? There's so many good books in this beautiful world. I know. And you went with beautiful, like, and I'm like, Outlander. (laughs) Oh, Outlander's good. I, I mean, just love that book since I was in ninth grade. Like, it was my mo- – it's actually where my sister Jamie's name comes from. Hmm. I don't have the nostalgia goggles for Outlander, though. And I do. Like, and I, I read the book for the first time when I was in ninth grade, knowing that James Alexander Malcolm Mackenzie Fraser was the namesake of my twin sister. So I've just loved those books. But I don't know that I actually want to live in the world because it's, like, a rough place to be. But, like, I just love the story. Like, I think there's a difference between wanting to live in a world and wanting to live in a story. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, there are so many good books. <laughs> One book that I will contentedly reread mm-hmm. is, um, well, listen, I'll go back to Looking for Alaska by John Green with my nostalgia goggles every time. Yeah. Every time. I, I haven't reread it recently, but I could... I don't think I could be there now as an adult, but I I do like that book. It's a good nostalgia one. Okay. Next question is, what is the most Fox Sisters talent, a.k.a. what is the most useless talent you have that you could potentially profit for millions of dollars? Oh, my God. Stop. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Profit for millions of dollars. I don't know if I could profit. Eh, Um, I mean, so what they did, for those who don't know, the Fox Sisters – 
one of the sisters could crack her toe like on command and they used that to create the entire movement of spiritualism and make millions of dollars by like pretending it was ghost tapping. So it could be any useless talent that someone smart enough could turn into millions of dollars. You don't have to be that smart enough person. You just have to have the useless talent. Well, this is silly. And we were talking about this with our friend Seb the other night. But I <laughs> I can always smell when I don't like someone. <laughs> this is so dumb. Uh, but if, if someone doesn't smell good to me, and I don't mean like someone's sweaty from the gym or their cologne yeah. isn't good. Like it's, you know, people have a people smell. Mm-hmm. I always know right away. So I... I know if I like someone or don't like someone pretty quickly. And then I also, I can usually tell when someone is ill because of how they smell. You've always had like extra good hearing, extra good sense of smell, like a little bit extra good eyesight. Maybe not better than everyone else's, but certainly better than my own, which like when I couldn't see something, you could. If I couldn't hear something, you'd hear it. Yeah, I get. I don't know. I think I just get credit because you've always worn glasses and I never have. Um, <laughs> but th- that right there, tw- you know, twenty twenty vision. I haven't had that since I was four years old. I think I, I. This is embarrassing, but I think I have to stick with the smell thing, especially because yeah. the converse of that is when someone smells really good. I just want to love them for the rest of forever. Like poor Tracy yeah. has to deal with me hugging her manically. Thank God I smell good to you, though. God, can you imagine if I smelled bad? That'd be awkward. Oh, it would be. <laughs> okay. The next one is, what did you believe as a, as a child that you wish you could still believe now? Oh, no. Um, wow. I When I was a kid, I believed that I could think my way through any problem. Like, I believed that if I could just acquire whatever knowledge I was missing that acquiring that would allow me to get through a problem. But that completely ignores the presence of, you know, every other human being that could (laughs) or could not be a part of that problem. So that was a real bummer. That is such a, like, a young adult way of thinking of things. Of like, of course there's an answer. I just need to keep learning until I find it. And there's not always an answer or a solution. Right. And I don't, I don't love that for us. I no, don't love that. it's not a journey I love for us. I also, I had this really tough reckoning when I was probably around 12 where I wanted to still play pretend games and no mm-hmm. one else did because there were malls and cell phones, I guess, and things to do in like the technological world, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I, I believed that then I would never have that again. And I now, as an adult, get to decide that I do. So that's yes. kind of a good, good flip. That's the best part about becoming, like, an adult who's self-sufficient. You can spend your adult money on things that just make you happy. You can believe what you want to believe. If you wanted to have that experience of world-building, play-acting, mm-hmm. straight up, there's LARPing. Right. <laughs> If you can't tell, yeah, Tracy and I grew up hanging around in the woods playing pretend a lot. A lot. A lot. And the thing that people do a lot as children is that they constantly make the rules and they don't eventually get to the play sometimes. Mm. And in D&D, you kind of already have these preset rules, which is nice, especially because adults love to adultify what could just be simple fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So D&D, I think, allows for a lot of 
it allows us to get over what would be hurdles yeah. to play. I've got another question for you. What is something that you've done that you got away with? <laughs> well, so I guess there's two. Do you want okay. cemetery or do you want uh, abandoned juvenile detention center? I want both, obviously. Okay, fine. So up the street from my house when I was young, there there's a cemetery on a hill. I know it well. Yes, and one of our friends lived right next door to that cemetery, and so I would meet her up there. And one night there was a meteor shower, and a friend was sleeping over at my house, and then we made cocoa and brownies, and we were going to walk up the hill at night, which was a long way up a very dark road, and my parents trusted me, and that's very cool. And we met her, and then we were going to go to the cemetery, and we... We're sitting out on blankets on top of this low kind of crypt thing, mm-hmm. watching the meteor shower and eating brownies and being <laughs> dorky kids, I guess. We were in high school, though. Um, and then a cop pulled up, <laughs> like, with his full lights on. Oh, God, and a my... cop pulling up to a bunch of teens eating brownies in a graveyard. Uh-huh. Not a great yeah. look. And my two girlfriends who were with us, they freaked out. They were panicking. Something you guys might not know about Rowan is she's extremely cool under pressure. Not cool with no pressure, only cool with pressure. Uh, Honestly, the more pressure, the more calm and collected you get. Yeah, true. It's true. So I was fine. I was like, we're not, nothing's going to happen. We're not doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. So he came up. And he's talking to us, and at first he's, you know, really, like, what are you doing here? You know, you guys are bad teenagers. And as he's talking to us, he's realizing that we're just very sweet young women yeah. enjoying <laughs> snacks. And then two more cop cars pull up. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I looked at him and I went, you needed reinforcements? And he oh was so <laughs> embarrassed. Oh, my God, that's so funny. Because he probably thought there was a lot more of you than just the three. I don't know. But they came up, and then this other, like, cop was kind of trying to take over the situation. Oh, my God. And he was all pushy, and he came forward. He was like, what are you eating? Like, trying to uh, figure Mm -hmm. out if we were doing drugs. And I finally was like, we're eating brownies. Do you want one? Like... We have cocoa. Like, it'll be fine. And the second I offered him the brownies, he was yeah. like, oh, okay, they're not going to offer us pot brownies. And honestly, if they had been pot brownies, that still would have been the move. Yeah. But we got away with that. They put up a sign, though, just after that that said cemetery from dawn till dusk because they tried to say that we couldn't be there. And... I but there was, was like, no sign. Yeah, yeah. who says? <laughs> God, actually, you guys should see. We have a picture of Rowan in front of that sign. Yeah. It's still there to this day. It's still there. And isn't your dad, like, unreasonably proud of that sign? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Truly, if I could get that sign into my house, I would. I love a good sign. Um, and the other story, I guess, is my a friend of mine lived out even more in the country than we did. Mm -hmm. And I would go hang out with him for the day. And we, I had my car, so we were at least 16. I drove us and parked alongside of the road and we walked to a 
old juvenile detention center that was right next to an active juvenile detention oh center. <laughs> and it was beautiful. It was post kind of this postmodern architecture and it there was clearly an element of um like a psych ward going on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there were there were the showers, the rooms, and the places, all all the beds that had the the handcuffs on them. And oh my god! It was so creepy. There were lockers. There were you could go to the room that was clearly the the rest area, with the mm-hmm. living room type place where people could look out these floor to ceiling windows. But there were still wheelchairs just parked in them. God. And, you know, clearly young folks had been spending time there. There were condom wrappers and whatnot. Mm. Gross. For, yeah, super gross. And I took a sign that said restricted area, which I have in my room now over my closet. And I took another That's one. That's where that sign came from? Yes. <laughs> and I think I have another one that says women's. I don't know. I have two. They're right on my wall that I put over my bathroom and I bring them with me everywhere, everywhere I move. And then my friend found the locker that was, I guess, the security guard's locker. And it had a key to every single room. And I am obsessed with keys. I love Mm -hmm. keys. And I have the whole box of keys. (laughs) Oh, my God. We're just this is mine now, and it's yeah. it's huge. It's so many keys. It's <laughs> so cool. I'm. So I don't know jealous. why they didn't double up and make any of the locks the same. Probably for fear of if someone who was in there got one, they could get into others. So if everything's unique, then it doesn't it doesn't matter as much if someone takes one. I don't know. I just had this very defensive thought of you know I want these keys because what if some other teenager comes along and locks all the rooms and then I can't get back into them. Like, what? <laughs> but <laughs> and now I have keys. You have keys and the doors are open. So really, who came out on top? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Alright, I got one final question for you. Oh, okay. In in true, I guess, Tracy fashion, let's end it on a happier note. Mm-hmm. What small tiny blessing would you bestow upon others if you could? Oh. Uh-huh. Hmm. I wouldn't want anyone to feel guilty about any food they ever ate. Oh, I am amazing. so sick of those conversations. I've told you what <laughs> Jamie and I refer to food guilt as, right? No. So, you know, most people, when they talk about, like, food guilt, it's like regret, you regret eating something. Okay. Jamie and I talk about it in the context of, like, Let's say there was one slice of amazing chocolate cake last night and we just were too full and couldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. That's food regret. I regret not eating that chocolate cake. So we've co-opted it. So now whenever we talk about food regret, it's like, I, ugh, I want that cake so badly right now. And now I can't have it because it was there last night and I'm not there anymore. I like that so much better. Yeah, I just get so sick of people making those jokes about, you know, I'm going to eat this dessert and I'm going to regret it later. I want that to be gone there can't even be conversations about it it's as if it never were yeah (laughs) it's a culture thing you but then you get stuck in the position of like having to play into it which i'm not going to do you have to be polite about it which is agonizing or you have to then be shitty not mean just you know go like okay you know (laughs) we don't do that 
I'm that last one. I'm always just like, I ignore it. I can't remember who I did this to. It was a, a girl that I knew, maybe like friend of a friend or something, mm-hmm. young. And she would kind of do that. You know, there'd be a dessert and she'd go like, oh, I shouldn't, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I'd just eat it. I'd go, well, now you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you missed your moment. That's a-. And she'd go, no, I wanted that. And like, clearly you didn't. <laughs> I have absolutely zero time for mind games like that. <laughs> Few things on this earth will make me want to commit war crimes the way that the, the girls, the gays, the theys, and the men, when they play those kind of mind games where they say they want one thing and they're hoping you notice they want another thing, that passive aggressive, Yeah, I can deal with the passive aggressive like if I know what you want, whatever. If you get mad at me because you weren't being a clear communicator, I'm starting an international conflict. Yeah, but then you get the fun. You know, if someone's doing that, then you just get the fun of being dense. Just, you know, if they're being passive aggressive, just play into it. Like, oh, if you don't want it, you don't have to have it. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. Don't, you don't have to have it. No one here even wants you to, like, it's mine. (laughs) I'm shaking my head. You have so much more patience. I'm just like... Honestly, probably what I really would do is just think very poorly of you and then leave the room. Like, that's what I do in those situations. We are particularly intolerant of folks we do not like. Yeah. I swear Tracy and I are friendly, except we're kind of not. (laughs) I enjoy most people most of the time. I just don't like dishonest or disingenuous people, which I feel like is a pretty not controversial stance to take. See, I knew that I'd made it with Tracy, that we were for real good friends when I would come over to spend time with her and she would ignore me. <laughs> like, that's how I knew that our friendship was golden. She would, it would just be as if I weren't there. I mean, isn't that any good friendship? <laughs> yes. I feel like any good friendship, you don't feel like you have to entertain the other person, especially as a massive introvert like I am. Like, I need to feel like I can be alone when I'm with the people I love. hmm Yeah. I don't know why I just got so heated about people being passive-aggressive. I don't apologize because... No, you're not that's wrong. That's not what we're doing here. You're not wrong. Yeah, I think it's just, like, as I've gotten older... Because I used to... Be, I think I used to be that way, and I... Yes. Yeah, I used to be that way, and I've <laughs> I've gotten unfairly harsh on people who have bad behaviors that I have worked on over the years, which isn't mm. a fair stance to take, but it is my gut reaction before I check myself. I uh, yeah, I yes, <laughs> I think that's very human. The thing that you fix to then go, why haven't you fixed this to other people? It's it's kind of natural. Yeah, even if it's, it's not, not fair. ideal, but it's natural. <laughs> You know what, Tracy, tell me something good. Okay. Now that I've ranted and raved and you guys have seen a very, you've seen me at peak anger, really. Is that what you're calling ranting and raving? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like as angry as I get. I'm, is that really your ranting and raving? You're pretty, you're pretty stubborn and that was not that. Okay, before I jump into something good, I guess I'm going to lay all my cards on the table uh-huh. We've talked about this before, that both of, both of us do this. If we feel like a, a full, well-rounded argument isn't being represented by someone, like if they make a declarative statement about like something, this thing is always true, or like women are always this, or everyone thinks this, 
even if we agree with the idea of like, yeah, the majority of times X thing is true, we have to fight the other side of it and then like both get pissed off that now we're arguing something we don't even actually believe that much, but you weren't being fair to the sake of the conversation, that's when you'll see me get that level of stubbornness. I love a good devil's advocate. It gets me in trouble. And uh, see, I'm not, it doesn't affect me to play devil's advocate because I know what I think and the people that I'm close to know what I think. But if someone's being a real schmuck, I will go in there. Yeah. (laughs) I think the difference between us is that it takes an emotional toll on me. Whereas you're just like, ooh, fun, a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've been thinking about this a lot that during 2020 with quarantine, I basically, for the most part, only interact with people that I really like. Work aside, work aside, but that's kind of compartmentalized. Right. I only interact with people that I really like. And that's awesome on the one hand in that I really like them. I love them. I feel validated and our life is good. But on the other hand, I'm just in this soft, squishy, padded room of love and support. You know, where am I going to sharpen my claws? (laughs) I'll just start calling you randomly and making very rude declarative statements. And then you can fight me on it. You're going to giggle. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we're talking about something good. So my something good this week is that I finished what I just realized was my 11th book of the year. I've read a lot of books this year. Look at you. That's impressive. I need to emphasize many of them are trashy, like, historical fantasy romance novels. Okay, sure. I love them. Wouldn't wouldn't change them for the world. No shame in that game. But when I say I've read 11 books, I'm not talking like I've read 11 Grapes of Wrath, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That would be a bummer. That'd be rough. What I did just finish was Lindsay Ellis's new book, Axiom's End, Mm. which is so good. So Lindsay Ellis, I mentioned, I think uh, an episode or two ago, she does a lot of videos on YouTube, literary reviews, talking about different characters, their representations in across storytelling, great videos. And she came out with this book that's this sort of young adult sci-fi, except it's It takes place in the year 2007 on Earth. Interesting. And it's about an alien coming to Earth and the main character meeting that alien and the way that the government explores what it means to have an alien presence, the way that she interacts with it, the reason she interacts with it. It was so good. Axiom's End. There's a second book coming out that I need because the first one ends very abruptly on like a cliffhanger, which oh, I didn't no. know. And so it felt, you know that feeling when you finish a book and you're not quite ready and you feel like you got ripped out of one world and you're like back in the real world and your yeah. brain's almost like on book hangover? Like mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. So good. Highly recommend. It started a little slow for me, but by 30% of the way in, I was like, I finished the whole thing in one day. Like I just... Wow. Sat and like read the whole thing. Good for you. It was it was very good. So both me and Jamie finished it. Our, another friend of ours is reading it. We have a couple who say they want to read it. So once they do, we're going to do a little book club and do a little Zoom Aww. call and, and talk about it together. So my something good is Axiom's End by Lindsay Ellis. If you want to find a link to that book, you can go on our recommendations page on our website. We always try to put everything we recommend there. 
Okay, so Tracy, I know I can feel already that you're going to dig your heels in on this one. I get it. Okay. It's okay. going to feel like homework, but I need you to read Cersei next. It's next on my list. I need it. <laughs> I need it for me. No, it's next on my list for two reasons. One, my, so my Kindle broke and Tim gave me his because he's never used it once. But <laughs> he now has it because he's reading Axiom's End, which was on the oh. Kindle. So I don't have access to my Kindle, which means I don't have access to the really indulgent, terrible fantasy novels that I just buy on a whim and then read in three days, which means I can actually read Cersei and not let myself get distracted by books that are not as good as that book. Yeah. Okay. Deal. (laughs) (laughs) So now, Mm -hmm. Rowan. Yes. Tell me something good. Well, I didn't realize that there was going to be a keys theme to my conversation in this episode. Yeah, we didn't know what to prepare for this. No, but my something good this week is that my mom kindly mailed me some of the skeleton keys that I had left back at their house. And they arrived and I put them, I put one on my car keys fob and I have one on my airpods so i can find them um smart but i really really love skeleton keys i love them when i was young my parents would take me antiquing and no one realized that they were hip yet so you could buy them for change Mm -hmm. and now they're more expensive but i always had them and i i just feel as if i have one with me if i encounter the right door i will be able to open it it's just it's like being prepared like if the wardrobe into narnia is there i am equipped to open it you are (laughs) putting the pieces in place to become the main character of your own fantasy story exactly yes also i I think they're lucky but that's just because i decided that they are and why not but why not i am a firm believer Again, no one asked me this, but I'm going to share my opinion. Tracy, uh, I'm asking, yeah, the thing, asking, (laughs) question mark. It's something that you and I have talked about, both I think on the podcast and off the podcast, that I am a firm believer that magic is as real as you believe it. Mm -hmm. So that, like, I think astrology is, astrology and tarot cards and crystals and all of that is as real as you put out into the world. So if you don't believe it at all, it's going to be just a rock in your hand. But if you believe, you know, those keys are lucky. I don't know. I think you're putting that energy into the world and it can be as real as you believe it to be. Do you have lucky things? Do you have a lucky thing? Like if I see three crows, it's that's a good thing for me. I don't know. It's lucky. I have this really silly thing from my childhood. It was a childhood friend's grandfather. He always said he had a guardian protector named Chief Many Feathers. And whenever what? he saw this is this was his belief. Wow. Always his belief. Whenever he saw a feather on the ground, he would tell us Chief Many Feathers was telling him he was on the right path and protecting him and like protecting us because we were with him. So whenever I see a feather on the ground, I always think of that. Um, and as like an 85-year-old man, he got a feather tattoo. Wow. Yeah. Which is so cool. Feathers are lucky, though. I'll stand by that. I, I, in my family, blue feathers are lucky. Mm. But it doesn't have to be a literal feather. If you see a blue feather, like a drawing of a blue feather, yeah. and you just stumble across it, 
it's lucky. Life is short, and giving little things an opportunity to make you happy is just a gift to future you. So Exactly. That's exactly how I feel about it. If you want to hold a crystal in your hand and poo-poo it, fine. If you want to hold a crystal in your hand and be like, it's my lucky crystal and it makes me happy, guess who's happier at the end of the day? Yes. <laughs> yes. That's my belief on all of those things. And speaking of happy, thank you for joining us for this funky, weird Q&A episode that we decided yes. to do. It was a blast for us. It was so much fun, you guys. I hope you liked this because I would love to do something like it again. It was just, I loved it. So We are on episode 27 out of 30 for this calendar mm-hmm. year. So we're almost at the end. We're almost wrapping it up for season two. Yes. Yeah, we'll be starting season two in the year of our Lord 2021, which is wild. Who's our Lord? Oh, the Death Fairy. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Thanks. Yeah, there's a skeleton fairy that we uh, we don't worship and are not a cult. <laughs> so, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.